Hello, and welcome to another edition of Ask the Professor, a crowd-driven, crowd-funded feature where I respond to your questions and comments on everything from culture to economics to political philosophy, all the things that matter to us in our attempt to live a good life together as citizens. And today's question-like object comes from Janine, and she quotes Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning, that some people behave like swine and other people behave like saints, and that at bottom, the potential is there for both and all of us, and which one we do is a matter of decision, not condition. And to me, this is a very important insight. And she goes on to quote somebody that freedom of thought is the most precious thing and no one can take that away from you. And, you know, of course, in some sense, that's not true. If they shoot you, you stop thinking freely or otherwise. There are things that will terminate your earthly existence. And if there's no afterlife, uh, you're going to have a little bit of difficulty figuring out what makes virtue better than vice, even if it leads to a bad end on this planet. But I'm going to put that aside for the moment. We'll do the sermon later and come back to this thing about decision, not condition, because I think it is a very revealing uh, thing that came out of the experiences people had in the gulag and in the Nazi death slash work camps, as well as in other less horrendous, but still horrible circumstances in which they found themselves, that some people behave better and some behaved worse. And some people, it was said about the, the, the camps, some people found God in the camps and some people lost him. And you can look at circumstances and you can work it out and say, oh no, it's all materialism. If you start with the assumption that it's all materialism, then you say, well, there must be a material chain of circumstances. Nobody had any real choice. Everybody was acting upon uh, the conditioning they received as a child. Everyone is following the instructions of their DNA. At bottom, the materialist view of the world says that everything that we do, including the electrochemical processes inside our brain that we mistake for thoughts, are the mathematical working out of the laws of physics and chemistry that go back inexorably to the Big Bang. If you knew the position and velocity of every particle at that time, you would know every thought that every person was ever gonna have because none of it's a matter of using the brain with any degree of freedom. All of it is simply what happens when two molecules meet. What, how do they reconfigure? What do the ions do? What kind of electrical impulses are discharged? I think this is an absurd view in principle because it not only says our thoughts are not really our thoughts, but it also suggests that when we think we're thinking, or when we insist that we're not thinking, we're just watching things projected on a screen in our brain for no conceivable reason. If there's no such thing as rational thought, if there are no decisions, if there are no choices, what's the point of having, what is self-awareness even for? But I also think it's proved to be wrong in practice by what Viktor Frankl says. Some people behave well and some behave badly, and it's because of decisions that they make. It's not because of what they brought into the circumstance with them, unless you count character, which just pushes the problem back. And we know in those terrible moments of choice in our lives, when the choice is painful, when the situation is dire, when we, we know we face a decision, that the decision is real, our choice is gonna matter, and it is a choice. Now, what's the relation of all of this to public policy? In part, I'm going to say, you know what, public policy is not the most important thing in this world. Uh, what goes on in your heart and in your home matters more than what goes on in Parliament. But I'm also going to say that when we make public policy, we need to know, are we making public policy for automatons 
or are we making it for moral agents? So G.K. Chesterton once said the argument that poverty causes crime is a slander on the poor. And I think he was articulating the same very important truth. There are poor people who commit crimes, but there are many poor people who do not commit crimes despite what one might think of as greater provocation or uh, a worse environment in which to learn to make good decisions. And of course, there are also rich people who commit crimes. It really does come down to what the individual does. Now, if you really believe the environment and heredity determine everything, then you're not making policy decisions anyway. You're just programmed to go into the public arena and say X, Y, or Z. I'm always amazed to hear people arguing that we don't have freedom of choice and our ideas are not really ideas. They're just a trick of the genes. They seem very passionately attached to their ideas, though they'd say, well, I can't help it. My genes made me do it. But I somehow don't think they even really believe it. It's all just a very clever game. But is welfare for people who can't help what they do, or is welfare for people who've gotten themselves into trouble, but many of whom can be helped out of trouble, and others of whom need to be given a bit of a uh, firm shove to stop behaving in bad ways? Are we moral agents wherever we may find ourselves? I believe that we are, and I think it's very important in our understanding of public policy that we treat one another and ourselves as moral agents, as people who do what they do, not because of circumstance, but because of conscience and because of deliberate decisions, particularly at moments of crisis. If you're enjoying Ask the Professor and you'd like to submit a question or comment, here's the URL to let you do it. If you value this and my other work and you're not already a backer, click here, become a one-time or monthly sponsor to sustain this and all my other work. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next time.